Psalm 136. This is the last uh, psalm in our series on the psalms, uh, the songs of ascents. We went from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134 is um, the songs of ascent. And then um, these extra, the Psalm 135 and 136 are usually um, tack, tacked on to the end in um, what's known as the uh, Great Hallel. Um, so I included those, plus uh, it just worked out in the calendar with uh, next Sunday we won't be having an evening service. Um, and then after that, um, I'm, I'm going to start uh, preaching through the book of Ecclesiastes in the, in the evening. So, But let's read along in Psalm 136. Give thanks to Yahweh, for He is good, for His loving kindness endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for His loving kindness endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His loving kindness endures forever. To Him who alone does great wonders, for His loving kindness endures forever. To Him who made the heavens with skill, for His loving kindness endures forever. To Him who spread out the earth above the waters, for His loving kindness endures forever. To Him who made the great lights, for his loving kindness endures forever. The sun to rule by day, for his loving kindness endures forever. The moon and stars to rule by night, for his loving kindness endures forever. To him who struck the Egyptians through their firstborn, for his loving kindness endures forever. Then brought Israel out from their midst, for his loving kindness endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his loving kindness endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his loving kindness endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his loving kindness endures forever. But he overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, for his loving kindness endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his loving kindness endures forever. To him who struck great kings, for his loving kindness endures forever. And killed mighty kings, for his loving kindness endures forever. Sion, king of the Amorites, for his loving kindness endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his loving kindness endures forever. And gave their land as an inheritance, for his loving kindness endures forever. Even an inheritance to Israel, his servant, for his loving kindness endures forever. Who remembered us in our low estate. For his loving kindness endures forever. And has snatched us from our adversaries. For his loving kindness endures forever. Who gives food to all flesh. For his loving kindness endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. For his loving kindness endures forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this psalm. And uh, the work you were doing, not only throughout Israel and the history of Israel, but in the heart and mind of the psalmist, who, whoever he was when he um, wrote this. Just to think about all the things it speaks about and what may seem a bit redundant, 
but yet because of our waywardness, because of our fickle hearts, we need to be reminded often that your loving kindness endures forever. You are faithful. So as we look at this psalm, we ask that you would not only remind us of that fact, but help us to understand it more deeply and guide us into um, understanding the other lessons and principles which this psalm teaches. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we are reading this, you saw, and I'm, I'm sure you've read this before, and, and sometimes even in reading it in your personal devotions, you see the redundancy of that phrase, and um, some of your Bibles may have a, a slightly different phrase, um, but there's a good reason um, that Israel need to be reminded, and we need to be reminded that his loving kindness endures forever, or his steadfast love, or whatever your Bible says, it endures forever because he is eternal. None of his attributes change. God is unchanging, immutable. He's eternal. And so all his attributes are likewise. And uh, this, you know, we, scholars don't know precisely when many of the Psalms were written. Sometimes we read a Psalm and we can see uh, the history in it, or uh, especially with the, the Psalms of David, we can get a good idea of what part of his life or what, what part of the history of Israel this, this, a certain psalm was written during. But um, this particular psalm, we, we don't really know. Um, we just know that it was after the conquest, after they were in the land. Um, but what is interesting is that it is tacked on to the end of the uh, Songs of Ascent. And rightfully so, it is, it, it is included in what um, is called the Great Hallel, or the Great Praise. Um, uh, the Songs of Ascent and these last two songs, Psalm 135 and 136. And uh, in writing about this psalm, uh, Old Testament scholar Dr. William Barrick, he writes this. He says this, he says, All commentators include Psalm 136 in the Great Hallel. It reinitiates the praise expressed in Psalms 113 to 118, the Egyptian Hallel. And then we know there's Psalm 119 that um, follows, in a sense, uh, Psalm 119 is broken up as an acrostic. So each section um, begins with, the, with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And then we get song, the Songs of Ascent, Psalm 120 to 134. But... Dr. Barrett goes on to say, he says, a number of phrases tie this psalm to, one, to Psalm 135, making them a joint closure to the Psalms of Ascents and a joint opening of the final section of praises in the Psalter. Jewish celebrants sing Psalm 136 by itself or with Psalm 135 on the morning of every Sabbath, on Passover evening, and for Hanukkah. It's a, a common psalm to be read um, during uh, their worship services, um, during their feasts. And certainly um, because it not only praises God, but it praises God for his works. 
and his works in the nation of Israel. And we see this phrase over and over again, um, his loving kindness endures forever. And you might have uh, slightly different alterations. And, and the, the reason for that is because um, underlying that term loving kindness or steadfast love or mercy, depending on your translation, is the Hebrew word hesed. Hesed, which doesn't translate um, exactly over into English. If you're familiar with different languages and translations, you know that not every language you can translate word for word. Sometimes you have to add a word. Sometimes you subtract a word um, to get the same meaning. And that's what is going on here. That term hesed, it, it's not just love. It's, it's not just mercy. Um, it's, it's everything together. Um, one one um, popular uh, dictionary for the Old Testament says this. It says, um, uh, in defining it, it says, kindness, loving kindness, mercy, and similar words um, are used to uh, translate this word hesed in the King James. So it goes on to, to say that the Revised Standard Version usually has steadfast love, Occasionally, loyalty. The New American Standard Bible has loving kindness, kindness, love, and the New International Version has unfailing love. All try, we all see how they, they try to express um, what this term hesed means. It, it's not, it's in addition to love. It, it's, it's a fuller meaning of love and mercy and kindness, um, an unfailing love, a loyal love. Um, it, it's a rich term, and so that's why we see uh, different ways it's, it's translated. The King James Version in, in this particular psalm says, um, For his mercy endureth forever. The New King James says, For his mercy endures forever, almost exactly the same except updated language. The New American uh, Standard says, For his loving kindness is everlasting. The English Standard Version says this, For his steadfast love endures forever. Uh, the New English Translation says, For his loyal love endures forever. And then the, the New International Version says, His love endures forever. And then the Legacy Standard Bible, which I'm using, says, For his loving kindness endures forever. And they're, they're all good, but you can see how the translators are trying to wrestle with how to translate this term hesed, which has a richer meaning than um, many of our English words for love. Uh, and we see this throughout this whole psalm as the psalmist uh, talks about uh, God's works, his character, and then goes back to his Loving kindness endures forever. His works and, and the things he does, the way he interacts with Israel, with his people, is because his loving kindness does endure forever. Dr. Will Varner, in his devotional commentary, Awake, O Harp, he writes this about Psalm 136. He says this, This is what we call an antiphonal psalm, with two choirs singing. One choir sang the first line of each verse, and the other choir answered, for his mercy endures forever. This was not vain repetition, 
For the second choir was offering inspired praise to the Lord. You can never sing too much about God's hesed. And so this is, if you're familiar with a responsive reading, um, sometimes uh, many hymnals will have a responsive reading. They'll, they'll take a, a portion of scripture and uh, certain uh, sentences or a couple sentences will be in bold for the worship leader or for the congregation. And it'll go back, the worship leader or the pastor will read one section, then the congregation will read the next, and then so, so forth. And this is what is happening in Psalm 136. And, and it, it may not just be a, a reading. Um, there, may be, there may have been uh, some sort of tune to it. But more, more often than not, it was probably just a reading. Um, but nonetheless, it was um, antiphonal. It went back and forth. It was a responsive reading. Uh, Dr. Varner goes on to say, he says, He reveals his hesed in his care for you, helping you fight your battles and defeat your enemies. Israel was not always faithful to God, but that is where his hesed comes in. He was faithful to them. The God of heaven is caring for you on earth. His hesed endures forever. And we can see that throughout this psalm as, in a sense, uh, especially when it talks about Israel and uh, the great works that God had done in delivering Israel. And we remember um, not just God's deliverance and his great works and his miracles, but we also remember Israel's unfaithfulness, their sinfulness, uh, their idolatry. And yet God continues to show his faithfulness. And, and that's the whole point of this psalm, to remind Israel of his faithfulness in, in all the specifics. And throughout this psalm, we see continued, continued calls to thank and praise God um, for his hesed, for his steadfast love. And those calls are alternating, or they alternate with calls to thank and praise him for his attributes and works. And it's, it's split up really in uh, five categories concerning his attributes and works. Um, we see uh, that call, that continued call to thank and praise him for his loving kindness, and then a call to thank and praise him for a certain attribute or certain work. And we see that in five main categories. The first category to praise and thank him in is um, as the Almighty. And that's how I've outlined this psalm in five categories. And so the first one is the, to praise him as the Almighty in verses 1 to 3. Verses 1 to 3, give thanks to Yahweh for he is good, for his loving kindness endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods for his loving kindness endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his loving kindness endures forever. The psalmist is, is uh, focusing on uh, God's uh, character or his attribute or his being as the Almighty. And he kind of uh, splits it, this up a, a little bit further in the, these, these uh, slightly different categories as almost uh, synonyms. Um, his personal name, Yahweh, and then the God of gods, and then the Lord of lords. And so we could see this, we could look at this as uh, the psalmist uh, praising uh, 
God or calling the people to praise God as the Almighty, at first as our good God, as our good God, that he has revealed himself in his name to us, Yahweh, this, um, the divine name, the tetragrammaton, this uh, name which was first given to Moses. Moses at the burning bush when, when God calls him, and he tells him, he, said, he tells him what he is to do, that he's going to be his spokesperson. He's going to deliver Egypt, deliver Israel from Egypt. And he's, he's going to go and take his staff and do these, these uh, uh, mighty works. Um, God's going to use Moses. And uh, Moses then asks, uh, who shall I say send, sent me? Because be, up until that point, in Scripture, um, all the people knew about God is that it was just in general, that he was generally just God. They, they didn't have a name, a specific name, as the other nations had for their gods. And so Moses is, in a sense, saying, who shall I send? Like, what's your name? And he says, tell them, I am has sent you. I am. That, that's basically what Yahweh means. It, it's it's. I am. He is. And it's, it's such a, a beautiful name because it's just, he's ever present. He just is. But not only that, but he, he is our God and he's our good God. And it says, uh, the psalmist says, give thanks to Yahweh for he is good because of his goodness. And, and not just that he does good, but he is good. And he is the standard by which all goodness is to be measured and defined. He is good within his being. And sometimes we, we uh, will say like God is good and God is good all the time. And uh, that's true and right and it's good to say. But um, in our mind, uh, I think sometimes we're thinking more along the lines of his works, which are good. But we also need to think of it in terms of his character, his attribute, that he is, he is good, just like he is love, and he is uh, mercy, and he is holy. He is good. That's the first reason why we are to praise him as the Almighty, and second, because of his loving kindness, and that he has shown us his goodness and his loving kindness. Second, we also praise him as the Almighty, um, in this, uh, the sense that he, um, he is uh, the heavenly sovereign. He is the God of gods. He is, he is God over all gods. And, and not as if those gods, those false gods, were uh, legitimate in any sense, but that he rules and reigns over all of them. And you could even take this uh, term here, uh, Elohim, uh, gods, the plural form of gods, to refer to all spiritual beings. Sometimes the scripture uses that term to refer to angels. Or um, even in some instances, uh, uh, demons. Or um, that, you know, God is over all of them. He's over all um, spiritual beings, over all um, Heavenly beings, whether uh, uh, false gods or angels, he is the heavenly sovereign. He has supreme rule over all things spiritual. 
Third, we are to praise him as the earthly sovereign. As the earthly sovereign. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. Uh, speaking that he has uh, sovereignty and authority over all earthly powers, over all kingdoms. And, and this is especially fitting because uh, the psalmist will go into his, uh, his works um, in delivering the people out of Egypt. And uh, in those days, in many countries, and especially um, in Egypt, the, the emperor or the king or the ruler was almost seen as a god or as a demigod. There was some uh, divine uh, nature attributed to the leader of that nation. And um, the psalmist here says that God is the Lord of lords, that Yahweh is God of gods and Lord of lords. And that's even, we, we say that even about um, Jesus. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. So this is, why we are to praise God, one reason why we are to praise God. Derek Kidner writes this in his commentary on the Psalms. He says this uh, um, concerning this phrase in the first few verses, give thanks. He says, uh, give thanks is not the whole meaning of this word. It basically means confess or acknowledge and therefore calls us to thoughtful, grateful worship. Spelling out what we know or have found of God's glory and his deeds. And, you know, give thanks it can sometimes um, be uh, almost a synonym for praise. You know, we give thanks to God, we praise God, but uh, we, we use give thanks or, or, or thank you almost sometimes in a lesser meaning. And what Derek Kidner is saying that um, this verb underlying give thanks or your uh, uh, translations might say something a little bit different. It has a richer meaning that we are to praise him. We are to praise him as the almighty, give thanks to him as the almighty. And then second, we are to give thanks and praise him as the creator, as the creator in verses four to nine. To him who alone does great wonders to him who made the heavens with skill, to him who spread out the earth above the waters, to him who made the great lights, for his, for his loving kindness endures forever. For all the things that he has done, we, we praise him as the creator. And it's, once again, there's, there's synonyms here, because God is, I mean, God is the creator. Uh, if any true God would be creator. There's one true God, and, and he's created all things. He is almighty. He is creator. He is Lord. He is king. He is master. He's God of gods. And uh, one commentator, he writes this concerning this section that focuses on his creation just elaborating on his power and uh, his wisdom. He says this, The work of creation focuses particularly on God's handiwork in space, the great lights of the sun, moon, and stars. Though God's creation on earth reflects great glory, his work in space is overwhelming to man in all ages. And so we see that this section, verses 4 to 9, 
focuses on praising God as the creator of all things, but um, focuses more on the heavenly um, parts of creation, the stars and, and the moon and the great lights, uh, the heavens. Um, it does talk about earth, but mostly it's focusing on greater things than earth. In this part of the psalm, as we read verses 4 to 9, it, it praises God as the creator, but first as the creator of the universe. As the creator of the universe, to him alone who does great wonders. To him who made the heavens with skill. With skill, there was even the, the psalmist, um, many, many uh, believers uh, in those days and even in, in our own day, even ourselves, we, we see the work of the heavens. We see this great skill, the, the genius of God in the heavens. David himself in Psalm 8, which many believe he wrote Psalm 8 as uh, a shepherd boy. And he says in the beginning of Psalm 8, O Yahweh our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who displays your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. And he says, when I see your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have established, what is man that you remember him and the son of man that you care for him? In our, our day and age and where we live, you know, we, there's light pollution. There's uh, uh, air pollution. There's things of which uh, kind of, um, they, they mask the heavens. They, they mask God's creative genius. But uh, many of us have seen pictures or we've gone to places uh, out in the wilderness or, or, or national parks or places where you see the night sky and, and where you can even see uh, the Milky Way in the galaxy and, and you are just astounded. Sometimes your jaw drops and you're just like, whoa. And that was for the psalmist, for many people um, who lived before electricity. That was every night. That was every night. Especially for a shepherd boy like David. He would look up at the heavens, and we even think of, of God's call to Abraham, and he tells Abraham to look up, count the stars if you are able to. And just see, the psalmist is pointing us to God's great wonders, to his, how he has made the heavens with skill. Second, the psalm praises God as the creator of the earth. It's not just creator of the universe, but creator of the earth. Uh, to him who spread out the earth above the waters in verse 6. That he formed the particular details of the earth and he sustains it. So he spread out the earth above the waters. And the, the psalmist certainly understands and, and knows the law and knows the account of the creation in, in the first few chapters of Genesis. That, that um, the earth was formless and void, but then God brought forth uh, the land. And then all the days of creation and the trees and the, the birds and the, the fish of the sea and, and all the particular details of the earth. This is what the psalmist is pointing us to. But then third, he 
points us to praise God as the creator of the celestial bodies. Verses 7 to 9. To him who made the great lights, the sun to rule by day, the moon and stars to rule by night. And not just as um, he's speaking of the, the great wonders of the universe as he does in Psalm 4 and 5 and that God made it with, uh, with uh, genius and skill crafting the heavens. But he's also alluding to an order. That there's an order and a function in the heavenly bodies. The sun to rule by day that there is, is time. And we can establish time by the sun, by the movement of the sun and the stars, the moon and the stars. You know, uh, as people have said before, uh, where do we get our concept of a year? Get it from, from the, the, the seasons, the, the, the sun, the same place we get our concept of a day from the sun. Where do we get our concept of a month? From the moon and its cycle. But what's even more interesting is where do we get our concept of a week? Get our concept of a week from the creation account. And I think this is what the psalmist is pointing us to. That there's an order in creation. There's Everything is made and as beautiful as it is. Um, as wonderful as it is, it also serves a function. It also points us back to the creative genius of God. And Psalm 19 says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and the expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. The creation itself is glorifying God in the stars and the planets and the movement of the stars and the planets and the sun and the moon. It's, it's speaking about God. This is where we get the concept of general revelation that all man knows that there is a creator, that there is a God, but they yet suppress that truth and unrighteousness so that they can continue to sin with, uh, and, and rebel against God. But God's work is evident in creation. It's evident. And the psalmist calls us to see this evidence. One commentator writes this concerning this section of Psalm 136. He says, The Old Testament is often at pains to remind God's people that the God who has redeemed them is also the very God who created the world. Sometimes that reminder is given to reassure the people of God's power. And sometimes, as here, that reminder is given so that the people will see their own lives in relation to God's continuing commitment to his creation. He has, even in his covenant to Noah, that he said he would never flood the earth again, that he will sustain it, seed time and harvest, all, all the seasons, that it will continue until um, the end of the age, until he makes a new heavens and a new earth. And he sustains the creation and its order, and we are to see his creative genius in the creation. So the psalmist calls us to 
give thanks and praise God as the Almighty, second, as the Creator, and then third, as the Redeemer. In verses 10 to 16, to him who struck the Egyptians through their firstborn, then brought Israel out from their midst, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, to him who divided the Red Sea in two, and made Israel pass through the midst of it, but he overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, to him who led his people through the wilderness, for his loving kindness endures forever. The psalmist wants us to look at God as the Redeemer. We not only praise Him and give Him thanks as the Almighty, as the Creator, but also as the Redeemer. As the Redeemer. And this is where OSU helps us. You heard me right. I'm in Buckeye land. And uh, so OSU helps us out with this because recently, what did they do? They trademarked the word the. The Ohio State University. And really, they, they do, didn't do themselves well by their enemies. They just gave them more ammunition. Um, but nonetheless, they are the Ohio State University. This is what God is. He is not only the Almighty, not only the Creator, but He is the Redeemer. The Redeemer. And the only one. He's the only Redeemer. You know, all caps, the Redeemer. And I, this is what the, the psalmist wants to stick in the minds of the people. That He has redeemed them from insurmountable powers, Verses 10 to 12, from insurmountable obstacles, verses 13 to 14, and from insurmountable forces, verses 15 to 16. He's redeemed them from what they had no power in and of themselves to, uh, to redeem themselves, to get out of. I like what Charles Spurgeon wrote concerning this section of the psalm. He says, Not only the matter, but the manner of the Lord's mighty acts should be the cause of our praise. We ought to bless the Lord for adverbs as well as adjectives. In the Exodus, the great power and glory of Jehovah were seen. He dashed in pieces the enemy with his right hand. He led forth his people in no mean or clandestine manner. He brought them forth also with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble person in all their tribes. Egypt was glad when they departed. God worked with great display of force and with exceeding majesty. He stretched out his arm like a workman intent on his labor. He lifted up his hand as one who is not ashamed to be seen. Even thus was it in the deliverance of each one of us from the thraldom of sin, according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. For his mercy endureth forever. And this redemption from Israel, it's, as I, I said last week and in, in several other messages, it was part of Israel's identity. It was a, a key fact, a key event that was to be brought up constantly. Constantly throughout the Psalter and the, the prophets, it, it, was, it was something Passover. 
was instituted all about. And it wasn't just an event that was to be a part of their identity, something that they were to remember, but it was an event that was to foreshadow an even greater redemption in Christ, as Spurgeon pointed out. This, this, this psalm is not only for the Israelites to remember their redemption out of slavery in Egypt, but it's for us to remember our redemption out of slavery to sin by the great Redeemer, our God. And this redemption you know, from the Egyptians at that time, they were, it was a redemption from insurmountable powers, the superpower of the ancient world. The great empire. And not only were they the superpower and were the great empire, but Israel was a nation of slaves. They had no power. All their, their redemption, their deliverance was um, alone a, a matter of God's power. And, and they're to be reminded of it. And it's not just their deliverance from Egypt, though. But they were redeemed from insurmountable obstacles. Verses 13 to 14, to him who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it. And then he overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. It wasn't enough for, for God to just uh, deliver Egypt, uh, deliver Israel from Egypt. But he led them in such a way that he, he put them um, between a rock and a hard place, so to speak. He put them there um, in front of the sea so that they had, they had no way out. And they even um, said that, you know, they, they even cried out. And Moses told them, wait for God's deliverance. Behold God's deliverance. And he split the Red Sea in two to show his power to deliver them, but also then to use the Red Sea to not only deliver them, but then to defeat the world's superpower. To destroy Pharaoh's army. After that, Pharaoh had to go and raise up a new army. The psalmist calls us to, calls the Israelites and us to praise God as the Redeemer from insurmountable powers, from insurmountable obstacles, and then from insurmountable forces. Insurmountable forces that he overthrew Pharaoh's army and then he led them through the wilderness through the wilderness where they continued to um, complain and grumble that there's no food, there's no water. And, and they weren't exactly lying. This is the wilderness, it, it was called a wilderness for a reason and, and not a wilderness as we think of wilderness with, with trees and streams and, and plant life and animal life, but a barren desert where there's barely any water, barely any food. And the millions of people, God led and he provided for them. And what's interesting is, what, what's interesting is that, you know, God is, he's most prone to display his power when the odds seem to be against him. Or rather, the odds are never against God, but rather when we seem to think they're against him or when his people are up against impossible odds. That's when he really shows his power. So, that's why the psalmist uh, includes this and calls us to praise and thank God. Calls us to praise and thank God as the Almighty, second as the Creator, third as the Redeemer, and then fourth as the Conqueror. 
as a conqueror because he did not just uh, redeem Israel and then leave them there in the wilderness, but he promised them a land. He promised them a land that they would inherit and that he would bring them to this land. But on the way, as we, we read about the 12 spies and how they wavered in their faith, there was some obstacles. There was kings, there was armies, there were uh, giants, so to speak. So the psalmist reminds Israel of what God did. Verse 17 to 22, To him who struck great kings and killed mighty kings, Sion, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as an inheritance, even an inheritance to Israel, his servant. That God showed himself to Israel as the conqueror of powerful kings, great kings, mighty kings, the conqueror of proud kings, kings uh, Sion and Og, who weren't necessarily in the land, in the promised land, but they were on the uh, eastern side of the Jordan. They're, they're in a, they're, their territory was in a place in, in which Israel um, was looking to pass through, and, and yet they uh, came out against Israel. They would not let them pass through, and so God destroyed them. He gave them into Israel's hand, and, and then so they and Israel got bonus land. They got extra land instead of just the original borders which God um, uh, portioned to Israel. They got extra land. He gave their land as an inheritance. And so God shows himself as the conqueror of powerful kings and of proud kings. And, and he conquers on behalf of his people. He gave their land as an inheritance, even an inheritance to Israel, his servant. That even he said that he would go before them. He would go before them and fight their battles for them. He says this all throughout the Torah, all throughout the, the law, that if they were to obey his law, he would fight their battles for them. He would provide for them. If they were just faithful to trust him and to obey him, he would be their conqueror. And this is what the psalmist uh, ventures to remind Israel of. That uh, God is not only the Almighty, He's not only the Creator, He's not only the Redeemer, but He's the Conqueror. He's their Conqueror. He fights their battles for them. And then fifthly, and finally, the psalmist um, points us to praise and thank God as the Guardian. As the Guardian. In verses 23 to 26. Who remembered us in our lowest state and has snatched us from our adversaries who gives food to all flesh, give thanks to the God of heaven for his loving kindness endures forever. He was the guardian of his people. Uh, he remembered them in their low estate. He remembered them uh, even in their sin. He remembered them in their oppression in Egypt. He delivered them. He redeemed them. He snatched them from their adversaries. He protected them. He guarded them. He was their guardian. Um, and almost uh, not in uh, just in a protective sense, but almost as, in, as we use the term um, in adoption, as the guardian, as the parent, as the legal guardian of Israel. That he is their guardian. He is the guardian of his people. Remembering them, delivering them, 
but he's also, more than that, the guardian of his creation. Verse 25 says, who gives food to all flesh. This points us to God's common grace. And even Jesus said, he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. There's a sense that God shows his grace not only to, um, to his people, but to all peoples. And he's patient. He's not willing that any would perish, but that all would repent and come to um, everlasting life. He, he, he um, cares for his creation, and yet he is just. And he will judge his enemies. I like what Alan Ross wrote in his commentary on the Psalms concerning Psalm 136. He says this. <clears throat> he says, The point of Psalm 136 is obvious. Acknowledge the Lord in the assembly for his faithful love displayed in his mighty works, especially in creation and redemption. These two themes for praise stand out frequently in Scripture. Even in the great heavenly anthems recorded in Revelation 4 and 5, but a listing of God's work can never be complete. And so a psalm like this should prompt believers to add more or form their own song of praise for antiphonal use. But the message must remain clear. The Lord alone is to be praised for his marvelous works of creation, redemption, and provision for his people. We need reminders. We need reminders. Um, why we are to praise God. We are created to praise Him. We are redeemed to praise Him. Um, but we need reminders. And we need to not only praise Him for general things as God, as Creator, but specific things. Uh, prayers that have been answered. Um, those divine appointments. Um, those times in which we are saved um, narrowly um, from an accident. Those times when he provides out of nowhere. We need to remember those times and praise him for that. And in closing, um, in order to get an idea of the effect of the, this psalm would have on the people, I want to close by a responsive reading of this psalm. So please stand, and I am going to read uh, the first half, and then I want you all to respond with that second refrain for his loving kindness endures forever or whatever your particular uh, translation says. But I'm going to read that first half and then you all respond. So let's begin in verse 1. Give thanks to Yahweh for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords. To him who alone does great wonders. To him who made the heavens with skill. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. To him who made the great lights. The sun to rule by day. The moon and stars to rule by night. To him who struck the Egyptians through their firstborn. Then brought Israel out from their midst. 
with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea in two. And made Israel pass through the midst of it. But he overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck great kings. And killed mighty kings. Sion, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. And gave their land as an inheritance. Even an inheritance to Israel, his servant. Who remembered us in our low estate. And has snatched us from our adversaries. Who gives food to all flesh. Give thanks to the God of heaven. And it may be redundant. 26 times you have said it. But we need to remember it. And hold it fast. That his loving kindness endures forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder. And for the specific teaching, the specific details of how your loving kindness has been shown to your people. Lord, you know. You know our frame that we are but dust. We are fickle. We forget. We are prone to fear, worry, and anxiety. Lord, help us to remember that your loving kindness endures forever. To rest in it, to trust in it, to hope in it and to live in light of it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.